building a company from nothing is freaking hard. Us entrepreneurs are expected to deal with unimaginable challenges and somehow keep a cool head through it all. This is The Art of Entrepreneurship, and I'm your host, Jackie Hermes. I grew my company, Excelity, from zero to seven figures with no partners and no funding. The Art of Entrepreneurship is a show where we cut through the BS and dig into what it actually takes to start and grow a company. If you give me your time, I promise it won't be wasted. Now let's get to work. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Entrepreneurship. This is episode 200, which is honestly really insane. It's been a few years of running this podcast. I know we started at three episodes a week and went down to two and went on a hiatus. And I've been just soul searching and figuring out how to make this podcast as successful as possible and something that fills my cup. For episode 200, I wanted to have a conversation that was potentially life-changing, that was huge, that went deep into all of the issues, the failures, the challenges, the wins, the successes of entrepreneurship. And there is truly no one better to talk about this than Chris Harder. Chris is someone that I have been watching from afar for a long time on social media. He and his wife, Lori, live this beautiful life where they're both entrepreneurs. They're moving around the country. They spend some time right here in Wisconsin, where I am from. And so I took a chance and reached out to him to see if he wanted to come and join me for episode 200. And I will tell you, this is one of the best episodes that I have recorded of this podcast to date. We talk about everything. We talk about how to function in services and consulting and growing a product and the biggest lessons. And we talk about his biggest failure story, which is a really crazy story that you'll want to tune into. We talk about networking. Chris and Lori have some of the biggest business connections and the influencers that you see all over the internet and their friends. And we talk about how they went about doing that. So tune in today for this big episode number 200. And thank you so much, Chris, for being here. Hey, Chris, I am so excited to have you here today. And as you know, I've been following you and Lori for a long time, hitting you up on Instagram about I don't know, random things like cocktails you're posting and boating and stuff like that. Um, I, I think, you know, that I try to keep these podcasts pretty short and it made it freaking hard to pick out questions for today because I have so much that I want to ask you. That just means we're gonna have to do multiple. How's that? We'll just do multiple podcasts. Terrible. That is, yes, I would love to do that. It means the world to be here, by the way, when people share their audience with you, that's like saying, Hey, I, I trust this person enough to put them in front of my audience. So I really appreciate it. It means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. So, okay, let's jump in. You have worked in like every feasible function of business. So many different industries. I know that you've worked in services and consulting Mm -hmm. courses. You have your mastermind, your podcast, of course, and your online presence investing. And now you're launching a product or an app, which has got to be very different. What has out of all of that been your biggest challenge so far? Oh, that's a great question. I think in business in general, your biggest challenge is finding your people. So whether it is finding your first hire, whether it's find, you know building the perfect team, finding your people's hard, um, finding people that fit culture, that fit the pace that you want to run, uh, that fit your ideals, your morals, all that stuff, and having them show up and perform the way that you want to perform, it goes through a lot of trial and error. And we've made so many wrong hires and 
bad hires and great hires that then for some reason changed and didn't turn out great. So I think if you can learn to go with the flow and dial in your hiring and, and dial in your team building, that's yeah. going to save you a lot of heartache, but there's no like course on it. No matter what someone tells you, it's just trial and error and you learn from the error and you just do better next time until you really learn how to assemble a, a great team. Seriously, it took me so long to learn that. And like, I mean, we celebrated 10 years of my agency this year and the first five, we were like, okay, we need to hire this function, this function, this person seems awesome. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you hire people that you like, you hire people that you think will be good at the job. And it's just like, it's so hard to figure it out. I can't tell you how many freaking books I read about Mm -hmm. hiring. And now our team is so amazing and solid. And I'm like, it took 10 years to really figure a lot of that out. And there is no, like you said, handbook or really way to figure it out. No, you really got to figure it out yourself. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to the point where I have other people do the, at least narrowing down for me, and then they'll put a few candidates in front of me and and I'll choose the best candidate from that. And that's kind of a hack because in the beginning, you're just choosing all the wrong candidates and and then you (laughs) don't realize it until it's too late. So that's kind of a hack a little bit once you get to that point. But until you get there, and I wouldn't even encourage people to start there, you kind of got to just build your own muscles in that category, learn what's right, learn what's wrong. And you're only going to do that from feedback. Yeah, seriously. I So I started my career as a recruiter, actually. Oh, so you and, totally know. And at the time I was like, oh, this is not, you know, like I went to school for marketing. I want to have a marketing job. I was like, this is not what I want to do. You know, I was totally not into it. And now I'm like, oh my God, I actually learned so much and so many important things. I was absolutely looking a gift horse in the mouth at that time. I mean, for you to have that background is such an advantage Yeah. because imagine somebody who's never hired, never onboarded, never trained, and now they're supposed to find the right person, get that person trained up and hope that they're leading that person in a way that motivates them. That's a really tough thing to, to learn on the fly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So in all of those different functions of business, hiring and team building, it sounds like biggest challenge. What has your biggest lesson so far been? I used to be so cheap. So when we were building personal brands, when we were building other companies, I would always want to find the jackknife uh, that could kind of do all sorts of things kind of well, instead of finding like the ninja that could do one thing really, really well. And I would try and, uh, you know, save money by hiring that next best person that can wear a few hats. I'd try and save money by uh, maybe going with the, the marketer, the Facebook marketer that was a little bit cheaper than the next one. And I can't tell you how many times, Jackie, I had to like learn the hard way that you get what you pay for typically when it comes to hiring, whether it's agencies or whether it is talent that's on your team, you really do get what you pay for. And so I I held us back from a lot of success to always trying to do things the cheap way. And it took me a lot of years to just finally loosen up the purse strings, so to speak, and say, let's do it the right way, the right, you know, the right time right away out of the gates. Mm -hmm. It's interesting from the agency perspective, we have been passed over a number of times because people are like, oh, you know, I don't have budget for this. And I'm like, okay, I'll talk to you in six to 12 months. I mean, I don't say it like that clearly because I'm not. No, but it's what you're thinking because it's true. And you're not thinking it from this snobby or I'm going to get you standpoint. You're literally probably a little bit sad in your heart. Like, dang it. I know you're making a mistake, but there's no way I can get you to understand that until they make the mistake, learn from it, and hopefully then come back to you. 
Yeah. We've tried to get a little bit more flexible in those scenarios where it used to just be like, you need this budget to work with us. And now we're like, how about we start Mm -hmm. with like a small project so that you can see what it's like to work with us so that you can love our work. And then we can sell you into more. Actually, I heard you were just talking about that on your podcast, where if people don't have like references of people that they've worked with, um, it's a huge red flag. And that I think all goes back to hiring resources too. That's a step that most people skip. They don't ask for the reference and then they don't call the references. And you could learn so much by just taking that extra step, calling a few people that did work with the agency or did work with that person and asking, Hey, you know, what did they do that knocked your socks off? And what would you have changed about their performance? Those two questions will give you so much feedback before you pull the trigger. Yep. Absolutely. Actually, one thing that I learned in the book who by Jeff smart is in the hiring process, he talks about not asking for references because, you know, sometimes people will like send you, Oh, here's my buddy. That's going to pretend to be my old coworker, but asking about the specific people that they worked with at different roles. So like, who was your boss? Who was your favorite coworker? And then as you hear those, those answers, then when you get to the reference part, you say, I I would like to talk to this person. Can you connect us with them? That's I thought that good. was, it's genius because yeah. it kind of circumvents that tendency. I mean, even as an agency, you know, like when people mm-hmm. want to talk to us, of course, we're going to send our best references all the time. Human um, nature. Yeah. And, and so it kind of like circumvents their ability to do that. And I think we get more honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, I mean, no one's going to take a reference call and be like, terrible. Well, actually, I, that's I've not actually- true. That I have had true. people do that. Uh, yeah. Let me go ahead and retract that statement because I have certainly actually heard stuff like that before. <laughs> and yes. thank God for those people that are willing to tell the truth because it's it's hard. It's hard to tell the truth, right? You want to be the good person. You don't want to you know, ruin someone's chances of getting a job or something like that. But dang it, you're always choosing. You're either going to save the person who's applying for the job or save the person who's about to hire. So Right. It's very interesting once you are the owner of the company and you start speak or hearing that perspective and thinking from that perspective versus like the employee's mindset. That's one reason that I love when my team members have like a side hustle or a business that they're working on because it's like they get to see what it's like when they have their life as an employee and they get to see what it's like when they run a business and how different those are. And I think that they are able to better kind of like stand in the shoes of their boss and, you know, like understand that we're all human. Oh, they have such a different appreciation when they have to make their first hire or when they have to write a paycheck or when they have to, you know, feel like they're getting in return for that paycheck, what they're investing in. All of a sudden it totally changes their perspective. Yep. It's very interesting. Okay. Next topic. I don't want to like jar (laughs) this, but I have so much to talk about. Let's talk about failure. Yeah. You and Lori have a very interesting story, and I know you've had huge wins and also some big challenges and losses, Uh, like you've made money, you've gone broke, you've pivoted strategies. One of the things that I admire about you is that you speak so openly about it. And most yeah. people don't, right? Most people are like, look at me, look at, you know, the, yeah. we, we, when we were talking before this, you're like, okay, this part looks really cool of my mm-hmm. life, but it has these challenges. Yep. If there were such a thing as your best failure story, which like, I think we can have these good stories after the fact, tell me the story. I mean, it's got to be in 08, 09 when we lost everything and had to start over again financially. And that's just like a slice of the pie in the pie of failure during that time. You know, Lori had, maybe she had an inclining 
that things were getting tight financially, but she didn't know because I ran the finances back then. So I had to break the news to her, you know, hey, babe, I uh, lost my job today. And we got to short sell this house and get rid of the cars and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that was one of the worst messages to ever have to, to give to your significant other. You don't know how they're going to react. Um, and then to have to face your neighbors as you short sell your house and your friends and everything else. Um, you know, back then I put so much importance on what was my job title, what was my next promotion, how many people did I have on my team, what did that look like on the, on, you know, outside looking in type of a thing. And uh, when you go through a big failure like that, it kind of strips you of all those things that you saw that you thought were important, yeah. and it gives you a chance to choose again. I mean, when you have nowhere to go but up you really have an advantage. And that advantage is you get to choose how you want to show up. You get to choose how you want to add value in the world. You get to choose uh, what's going to be important to you, right, going forward. And um, if you make those choices right during that time of failure, then that failure is nothing more than a springboard into a life that you kind of wished you had built, but didn't get a chance to uh, without that reset. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a client today that got acquired and they've had some layoffs happening within the original company often happens in an acquisition. And I mean, everyone's pretty upset, which is completely understandable. And I've been in companies that have been acquired before I get it. And also I was thinking like, you know, if some of these people have been there for 10, 15, 20 years, this could be a really great opportunity to think of something else, to find, you know, something else and kind of reset their life into what they want it to be instead of what it has been. Yeah, it doesn't have to be scary. And, and that's easy to say once you've already been through it, right? But right. Lori, and I literally have no fear around trying anything. Start a company, it fails, big deal. Uh, start a family and it doesn't work out, big deal. Like uh, invest in this thing and, and lose our money, big deal. We literally just lost 200 grand in a Ponzi scheme, uh, probably maybe eight weeks ago, something like that we found out. Oh, but do we stop investing? No, right? No. You got to take these at-bats and some are going to be home runs. Some are going to be strikeouts, learn from the strikeouts and eventually get more home runs. But mm -hmm. until you've experienced some kind of loss, it's scary because you don't know what's on the other side. So if you can borrow anything from interviews like this, it's borrow the fact that it's not going to be as bad as you think. It's not going to be as scary as you think. It's not going to be as painful as you think. It's going to suck, right? It's not fun, but it's not going to be as bad as you think. And on the other end, it's going to be brand new muscles, brand new opportunity, uh, probably a lot less stress. I think most people that are afraid of failing are also carrying so much stress because of that fear of, of failing uh, or some kind of house of cards that they're keeping up or staying with some kind of career that they don't like, but they're afraid to try something else. So then they stay with what they know. You know, what's that saying? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Mm -hmm. So honestly, on the other end of a failure is usually a whole lot of relief and that new opportunity. You know, I was reflecting on that the other day because it's, it's so interesting when you get to the point where you're like, man, I would have really had a hard time accepting this instance happening five years ago. And now I'm like, oh, okay, well, we'll recover. You know, my, I, every time something bad happens and I'm talking to my husband about it, I'm like, it's going to be okay. I always know it's going to be fine because yeah. I have proven in the past that I have always been able to make it okay. And it's not okay. Like it's going to work out in the way that we originally thought, but it's yeah. going to work out in some way because we've yeah. all gotten through our worst days. Every single worst day we've ever had. That's just life, right? Uh, I know this sounds so dumb and trite, but the absolute truth of life is there's no light without the dark, right? You need polarity for the other thing to exist. There's right. no happy without sad existing. There's no, uh, you know, win without loss. 
you literally need the opposite. You need polarity to experience the good things. Or if all you did was experience the good thing, then there'd be no way to define it and no way to feel that it's special, no way to feel uh, appreciation for it. So take the good with the bad and just kind of know that that's the roller coaster of life that you're supposed to be on. Yeah. And whenever I win like enough times in a row, then I'm like, okay, I'm used to this level and now I want the next level. Uh Right. So it's like, okay, if I don't get knocked down enough, then I'm like, Ooh, what's next? You know, like I'm killing it. So you kind of have to have, I mean, getting to the next level, always a great place to be, but I think the losses really put everything into perspective for sure. For sure. They really do. And they're like scars. You know, let's say you got perfect skin. You're so afraid of your first little scar. Then you get a few more scars like, eh, now I just look bruised and battled and tough. And so that's, that's going to be my new personality. Seriously. Whenever people like tattoos, my husband has mm-hmm. one tattoo and he's like, well, I don't know what to get. And and I'm like, like every tattoo that I have is a representation of what was happening in my life at that time. Like I worked in a tattoo shop when I was 18 and got my first one. Would I get that one again, 20 years later? Probably not. However, (laughs) you know, like uh, you can cover it up. You can turn it into something else. You can, there's just so many things that you can do. And it's like, it's like those scars and like the evidence of everything that you've done. It tells a story. And so for that reason, I'm not afraid of it. I have to ask, what was the first tattoo? Um, it was an angel tattoo, um, <laughs> which it was like on my back and I like got an image off the internet and kind of adjusted it a little bit. I ended up covering it up with some, like a floral type arrangement, like five years ago, but then, oh, oh God, I mean, I have outdo yourself on my arm and I sat in my office one day and just wrote it out a whole bunch of times. And one of my employees came in and was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm getting a tattoo today. And they were like, yeah. oh, is it like you're writing it on the paper? I was like, yeah, I'm going to circle one of these and then I'm going to go get it tattooed. And I think they thought I was nuts, but does that message still mean something to you? Oh, do yourself all the time. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, there's really no competition, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we can all spend, I could spend all day, every day, especially owning a marketing agency, looking at all the people that I compete with, looking at people that are working to build an audience on LinkedIn, then Mm -hmm. thinking that I compete with them, but truly only compete against yourself and your own mind and whatever you can do and getting to that next level. So my business coach actually gave me, I have an award over here. That's the outdo yourself award. And that's where that came from. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like I live that and I will continue to, because I see it every dang day now. (laughs) That's, that's awesome. I heard something on a podcast today. I forgot who said it, but uh, so it's definitely not mine, but I heard it today. And they said, hey, look to the left, there's someone more successful than you. Look to the right, there's someone less successful you know, than you. That means you're right in the middle and you're balancing your right where you're supposed to be. And I love that. That resonated with me because there's Absolutely. always going to be somebody that does way better than you. There's always going to be a lot of people that are not doing as well as you. So who should you really be competing with? Yourself. Outdo Absolutely. yourself and let that be the scoreboard. Hmm, I love that. I need to write this down at that after <laughs> this. Okay. So, I mean, we're talking, looking left and right and being surrounded with people that are at different levels of success. I want to talk about your network because you and Lori have a incredible network and you guys seriously have been part of so many amazing opportunities. It's something that I think a lot of people want and they're like, God, I want to know that person. I want to talk to them and they don't know how to do it. Yeah. How, I mean, in a few minutes of an answer, how did you go about doing that? Two things. Uh, We invested to get into rooms where a lot of the same people that people now look at and say, oh my gosh, can't believe they're in your network. Well, they were just starting out when we were just starting out when we were all investing to get in the same rooms. And so 
people look at it now and they're like, oh, how do you know this person? How do you know that person? How are you friends with this person? It's because when we were all green, we were all investing to be in the same rooms and we kind of came up together, some at different speeds, some at different levels, but we all came up together and you know, it, everyone looks and says, I wish I could plug into this circle now. No, look at the circle that you could plug in that's at your level and then work really hard to develop relationships, help each other out and kind of come up together. And in a few years, everyone's going to be looking at your circle saying, how did you get into that circle of influence? Right? So, yeah. so that's, that's, that's answer number one. Uh, answer number two is we've always played the long game. We have always looked for how we can add value into other people's lives and expected nothing in return. And we've done it in a very calculated way. Most people wouldn't admit that. They, you know, they say, oh, you don't give to get and all that. We don't give to get, but we have been very calculated about making sure that we're looking for opportunities to fill gaps in people's lives that we would like to have some reciprocity with. And when you, you know, the old adage, you get what you look for. When you look for ways to add real genuine value to individuals' lives, and then you do it expecting nothing in return, it's just inevitable that over time, that's going to come back, circle around, and kind of pay you back in one form or another. And that's just the way the world works. It's the way the universe works. It's the way people work. And so you might as well leverage it so that you can then have an incredible circle of influence to call on when you need them. Yeah. Absolutely. I think a lot of people look at this give to get thing as like, okay, I'm going to give a little bit and then they're going to buy something from me or they're going to introduce me to someone, you know, like anytime people are asking me for introductions, it's like, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into introducing you to that investor, or whoever you want to yes. know. Right. And it's when you work so hard on those relationships, you don't just give it away. And also the give to get thing, I think is like, it's going to come back to you in some way, shape or form, but it's not going to be like one for one, like, nope, you know, not at all. This, you gave something to this person and they will then give something back to you. They'll just remember you. And eventually someday they might call you or not, or maybe they'll send your name to someone else, or maybe, you know, there's so many different ways that it can come back around. Yeah. You can't attach a timeline to it. No. And you cannot attach a value to it, right? This is not a scoreboard and a calendar. This is being consistent in your action of adding value to as many people as you can. And yeah. if you do that for a long time, then that is that many more people that will add value to you when the time is right down the road. It might be a day later. It might be a week later. It might be a year later. I have people that are investing in my company right now that I've gotten nothing from them in a decade but now, a decade later, because I've asked nothing of them, they're coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, you've done so much for me over the past 10 years. I would like to invest in your company or I would like to introduce you to this person. So you've yep. got to play that long game. Yeah. I think another thing that I've done too is like anytime I'm looking to expand my network, I'll literally make a list of people in a note in my phone and say, I ran into this person once, or mm -hmm. I know this person lives maybe a little close to me, or we've talked to this person online and I want to get to know them more, you yeah. know? So like, how can I go about doing that? But not in like a, like, Hey, let's have a sales conversation kind of way. I think that no. is a little bit of a different ball game, but being a connector, you're talking about being, if you can be a really good connector, of quality humans to other quality humans, that in itself will pay massive dividends down the road. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Okay. I have, well, like one and a half more questions. Tell me about your app. So I just read your write-up in Tech Times, which is really exciting. And you said you're aiming to change the way that lending is done. The quote that I have here is, Frello is working to ensure that people with varying credit histories may have equal access to lending options. One, that's a huge freaking thing to take on, which is. is really cool. Where did the idea come from? And talk to me about your progress. Jackie, this is my favorite story to tell um, because the app was born out of a, a real life act of generosity. Now, tech is not my thing. I've never wanted an app. I've never wanted a tech platform. It's the opposite of what I am good at. Now, I'll, I'll address that in a minute. So <laughs> I never woke up with this ego or this desire around wanting to be a tech founder. It literally found me because uh, probably three and a half years ago now, um, when you have a podcast that's centered around generosity and, and being the common thread in people's success stories, people tend to reach out to you saying, hey, Mr. Generous, I've got this problem. Could you lend me some money? And I, I probably get 50 to 100 DMs a month of people saying, here's my hardship. Could I have some money? So I had to make a personal um, commitment that I wasn't going to lend in the DMs. Lori and I are going to give in ways that are verifiable because you don't know what's real and what's not. So right. despite this personal policy of not giving in the DMs, I literally got a feeling and I don't know how to quantify this feeling or, or how to describe it other than like I got a DM and I got a feeling that came through my head into my heart that said, open this DM and answer it. So following this feeling I did, and um, it was a landscaper and he said, Hey, listen, I listen to your show. I appreciate everything you put out there. I'm really embarrassed to send this but I am two payments behind on my landscape truck. I need $680 really quick because they're going to repossess it in a few days. And if they do, not only will I lose my truck, but more importantly, two great guys work for me and they're going to lose their jobs. Is there any way that you'd lend me 680 bucks? So following this feeling, uh, violating my personal policy of, of not lending in the DMs, I said, listen, uh, I appreciate you reaching out. I'm not going to lend you the money. I'm going to give you the money. And all I ask in return is that you put yourself in position to do this for somebody else someday down the road I believe in you. And that was it. I thought I'd never hear from the guy again, you know, PayPal him the money. I uh, thought I'd never hear from him again. But sure enough, about two months later, he slides back into my DMs and he says, hey, I just want to let you know what you did for me that day when you, when you gave me the money. He said, I got current on the truck, kept my business. Those guys kept their jobs and that's great. But when you said all you wanted in return was for me to put myself in position and do this for somebody else one day, he said, that reached me, that lit a fire in me. And I've gone absolutely crazy getting as many new landscape accounts as I possibly could in the past couple of months to the point where I'm buying a second truck and hiring two additional guys now. And I thought, my God, Jackie, $680. And I don't want to belittle $680, but it's not a lot of money, right? $680 was the difference in this guy losing his business or catching fire and creating more jobs in the economy. And that became the seed that was planted in me. Like, how do I solve this problem? Finding people like him and individuals like us that would be willing to help solve his problem short term and give people this bridge, give people the second chance that they need. And that became basically the Uber of personal loans, right? We have borrowers on one side and lenders on the other. We protect the lenders and it's just really cool how it's turning out. Yeah. I read that you're like guaranteeing payback and yep. I was like, wow, I am really interested in learning more about this. How's the app build going so far? so far outside of my uh, wheelhouse. So I went and yeah. this is a great lesson for other people. When you have something that's really important to you, but it's really outside of your wheelhouse, uh, go find someone to help bring this thing to life. And I had a good friend, his name is Matt Merrick. We had been friends for a number of years. He had just finished up selling his tech company for a huge nine figure amount. And when he did, he sold it to a competitor and got to keep his core team. So I went to Matt and I'm like, listen, you already know how to do this. You've got the team. Here's the vision. 
would you go build this with me? And he said, if you can pitch my team and win them over, we're in. So I got them all on Zoom because they were in Virginia and I was in uh, Arizona at the time. And I got them all on Zoom and I pitched his team and they loved the altruistic side of it. So we've been off to the races ever since then. So the build is going really, really well, not because I'm good at it, but because they are really good at it. So we're ahead of schedule. Um, this has been you know, great big undertakings like this because it's not like a little app that we're trying. This mm-hmm. is a multi, 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 multi-million dollar investment out of the gates. Mm-hmm. So typically things of this scale are supposed to go, let's just say have a lot of bumps in the road. So far, it has been absolute smooth sailing and I've got to give them all the credit for that. That is one thing that I talk about all the time. Know what you don't know, except mm-hmm. what you're not good at and bring in the people. And it doesn't even have to be. People are like, oh, well, I can't afford to hire. Or I can't. There's so many ways that you can do it. You can swap services. You can partner with someone yep. to get to that point. So I love that story. And I had the chills, like very cool. I cannot believe of all the DMs you probably get that you just yeah. randomly open that one. It's very serendipitous. I love A hundred, probably a hundred of them a month. And I opened that one because I got the feeling to open that one. All of a sudden, that tiny act of generosity following that feeling led to what's going to be a multi-billion dollar company. I mean, it's so weird. I almost have to call it divine or, or whatever people believe. Does he know that he inspired the app? I would love to find this guy. I tell this story on as many podcasts as possible so I can find this guy again. So it was like three and a half years ago. Um, I can't look back at DMs from three and a half. I wouldn't even oh, know yeah. like what, how to look back. You know what I mean? Right. So if, I'm praying that one day this guy hears the story. And I can connect with him again. I picture like bringing him up on a stage and be like, look, you did this. It'd be the best thing ever. What a cool story. I love that. Okay. I know we're over time, but I'm fine. uh, We talked about a lot today. Seriously, so many different topics. I still need to come up with a name for this this one. (laughs) If people are walking away with like one biggest takeaway, what is it? You have more than enough at bats to just swing for the fences and don't be afraid to strike out. I'm telling you that. The number of people that wish they had a different life uh, are really just a couple more tries away. Now, let's be honest, scary, uncomfortable, uh, heartbreaking tries sometimes, but they're just a couple of tries away from the life that they actually want. You know, you might step up to up to bat and, and, and absolutely strike out the first time. And you might step up the second time and and you know, fall on your face. You might step up the third time and the crowd's laughing at you and you step up the fourth time and your, your family and your friends are saying, hey, why do you keep stepping up to bat? You know, all the other ones didn't work. Why would this one work? He or she that then steps up to bat next, that fifth, that sixth, that seventh time, it ignores the other people that don't have the courage to do the same. They're the ones that are gonna finally hit that home run and then have the life that they want. Mm -hmm. You know what? Every single time I've ever thought about quitting, about quitting really anything, I always think, but what if this next try is the time that I make it? What if the next time, and I just quit, you know, I did this for how many years and then I quit just one step too soon. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I can never quit. (laughs) You can't, you're one introduction away from someone that you don't know today, but you'll know them tomorrow, or you're just one more try away or one more tweak away or one more break away or one more trend away, right? Something you're doing right now, it's not trending. All of a sudden it starts trending. You're just one more like little moment away from it finally working out for you. But if you quit, this is the only way to guarantee it's not going to work out for you. That is a beautiful takeaway. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time. It's been amazing. It's literally my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.